0: We have some scripture readings this morning from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 27 to 2, 3. If you want to follow along in Mark, our New Testament reading from Mark, chapter 6, 30 to 46. Does that sound right? Genesis, chapter 1, 27 to 2, 3. From a very small print Bible. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all of the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested. And from all the work of creating that he had done. Mark 6, verse 30 to 46. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, they said to him, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and and buy something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, they looked up to heaven. And he gave thanks. And he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went on up a mountain to pray. The word of the Lord.
1: It's uh, great to be here. Uh, Early in the summer of 1978, I uh, came here. Then what was called Ontario Bible College, and I was between my first and second years of my undergraduate education at the University of Ottawa. I was somewhat... Uh, disillusioned by the secular nature of my education at the University of Ottawa, and thought, well, I'll come and take a couple of summer school courses, and I really benefited from them. They were stepping stones in my Christian growth and development. And after that, those two courses, I went back to the University of Ottawa, and I was resolved to integrate my Christian faith with my Christian learning over the subsequent years of study at the University of Ottawa. So uh, now to... Tind- Ontario Bible College, now Tyndale College, certainly uh, played an important role in my Christian growth and development. And when I was here as a student in the summer of 1978, I would never have dreamt that I would return here many years later to teach a course. So I'm both honored and humbled to speak to you in chapel this morning. Let's just take a moment and pray before we begin. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to pause in the midst of this week, in the midst of our studies, our courses, or our work, whatever it is that you have us doing in this place this week. We thank you for the opportunity that we have had to sing your praises, and we thank you for the opportunity to have heard your word read. I pray now that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit and through your word. In the next few moments. In Jesus' name, Amen. Perhaps appropriate for the beginning of summer, I would like today to focus on the theme of rest. And I'm going to begin by reading a poem by Michael Koist. I went out, Lord. People were coming out. They were coming and going, walking and running. Everything was rushing. Cars, lorries, the street, the whole town. People were rushing not to waste time. They were rushing after time. To catch up with time. To gain time. And so everyone runs after time, Lord. They pass through life running. Hurried, jostled, overburdened. Frantic, and they never get there. They haven't time. In spite of all their efforts, they're still short of time, of a great deal of time. Lord, you must have made a mistake in your calculations. There is a big mistake somewhere. The hours are too short. The days are too short. Our lives are too short. Has God made a mistake in his calculations? Or somewhere, somehow, have we? Can we identify with this poem? If we were to reflect on the past week, did we have much time for rest and reflection? Certainly there are many legitimate demands on us. The demands of our courses and our jobs, our responsibilities to our families, our church commitments, and our extracurricular commitments. But is there any time in which we are not busy If I look at my own life, I tend to go from one work deadline to another work deadline, while also trying to fulfill family, church, and community responsibilities. There are times when I long for a slower pace of life, when I really can live. Busyness is a characteristic of our society, and Christians are not exempt. In fact, J.I. Packer wrote that, quote, modern Christians tend to make busyness their religion. We admire and imitate and so become Christian workaholics, supposing that the busiest believers are always best. The consequence of this activism, Packer goes on to write, is that, quote, Christians are like trains, always on the move, always in a rush and always late but is is this the way that god intended life if we recall the creation account we are reminded that god rested on the seventh day and the sabbath commandment in exodus alludes to this genesis creation account for in 6 days the lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. This account seems to suggest that rest, as well as work, is integral to the nature of God. Theologians have pointed to God's resting and suggested that rest is also to be integral to humanity. As one example, Karl Barth wrote, the goal of creation, and at the same time the beginning of all that follows, is the event of God's Sabbath freedom, Sabbath rest, and Sabbath joy, in which man too has been summoned to participate. It is the event of divine rest in the face of the cosmos completed with the creation of man, a rest which takes precedence over all man's eagerness and zeal to enter upon its task. Man is created to participate In this rest, God's resting on the seventh day suggests a rhythm to life in which there is one day's break in seven. Furthermore, the widespread repetition of the Sabbath teaching throughout the Old Testament shows that the Sabbath commandment was central to Israelite life. As we read through Scripture, we see the principle of taking proper physical and spiritual rests. Remains important in the New Testament. This brings us to the scripture passage from Mark's Gospel that was read for us a few minutes ago. Mark's Gospel is fast paced and action oriented. For example, we read in transition phrases such as the one near the end of our scripture reading where the verse begins with the word immediately. Despite the fast paced action orientation of Mark's Gospel, Jesus is sometimes seen as going off by himself to be alone and to pray. In addition, Jesus sometimes encourages his disciples to rest. Our scripture reading today is primarily about the feeding of the 5,000. But I would like to draw your attention to the verses at the beginning and end of this passage. This account of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is bookended by periods of rest and prayer. In the beginning of the passage in Mark chapter 6 verse 31, Jesus states, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." So many people were coming and going that the disciples scarcely had time to eat. And so he wanted them to get away and have some rest. At the end of the passage, we read that Jesus, too, took time to lead the disciples to go up on the mountainside to pray. We may find it difficult to understand how Jesus could take time to go alone into the hills to pray when there were so many individuals who needed him. He had a proven track record of healing, teaching, preaching, and performing miracles. If there was anyone who might not have needed to rest, it was Jesus who was fully God and fully human. Yet he took time to be alone and to pray. He did not order his life into one continuous schedule of busyness and activity as the disciples may have wanted to do. And I have a cartoon to illustrate this. Everyone read that at the back? I wonder how often our activity is like that of the disciples in the cartoon. Jesus' example of getting away to rest and pray, along with God's rest in the seventh day, and biblical teaching about the Sabbath suggests a rhythm to life. The Sabbath suggests not only a rhythm to life, but also a quality of life. In his delightful book titled Sabbath, the Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel Describes the Sabbath, quote, not a date, but an atmosphere, a taste of eternity, the world to come, end quote. This quality of life is very similar to some understandings of leisure, such as the one given by the Roman Catholic theologian Joseph Pieper in his classic book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. He wrote, Leisure, it must be clearly understood, is a condition of the soul. A receptive attitude of mind, a contemplative attitude, and it is not only the occasion, but also the, but also the capacity for steeping oneself in the world of creation. Throughout the centuries, Christian writers have acknowledged the role of this type of leisure in spiritual development and wellness as Christian spirituality thrives best in a leisure atmosphere where one has time and space allotted for being as well as doing. Richard Foster, in his book The Celebration of Discipline, informs us that the early Christian notion of odium sanctum, or holy leisure, taught a sense of balance in life, an ability to be at peace through the activities of the day, an ability to rest and take time to enjoy beauty, and ability to pace ourselves. Leonard Duhan, in his book Leisure, a Spiritual Need, states that leisure is an essential ingredient in spiritual development. He writes, I quote, "Hurly moving in no direction, many people are numb to spiritual values. A leisured approach to life is the basic element in the first stages of spiritual growth. As I reflect on my own life, I realize it is an ongoing challenge to experience the quantitative and qualitative dimensions of rest, yet I have discovered that I need to incorporate rest into my life. I was very fortunate to be brought up in a Christian family where the weekly cycle involved a day of rest, a day of non work and although while I was younger I didn't always appreciate when i when I was Restricted for doing certain th- things on Sunday. At this point in my life, I am gra- very grateful for my parents for doing that. When I got older, I was in grade 13 and then in the first year of university, I began to get away from that practice a little bit and I started to do some homework on Sunday evenings. And then I realized that that really wasn't particularly helpful and for the rest of my undergraduate, master's, and PhD programs, I tried not to work on Sundays, and I found taking a day of rest was very beneficial in terms of my mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. A day of rest reminds me that life is a gift from God. After my master's degree, I was uh, a manager of a program for recovering drug and alcohol abusers in downtown Ottawa. And generally in that position, although I tended to work somewhat long hours, I tended in general to lead a balanced life. But at times there was a temptation to overwork because of the needs I saw all around me in downtown Ottawa. I was young and I was full of energy and had the time to work on these things. Fortunately, many of the staff who worked for me were much older than me and they were wiser than me. And they kept reminding me of the need to take time to care for the caregiver. In my next position, I was director of a Christian camping Conference Center in Quebec for five years. In this position a combination of work much work to be done lack of other staff as well as high expectations of the people in the denomination I worked for led me to work almost all the time. In this position it was very difficult to maintain a day of rest as I lived where I worked. Sundays were one of the busiest days in this type of environment as there were groups visiting and it was hard to carve out another day in the week as a day of rest. At the midpoint of my experience at this camp, I was fortunate to be able to take a course with Lucy Shaw on journal writing. One of the exercises in this course is to write a personalized version of Psalm 23. Part of my writing was as follows. Even though I walked through the valley of correspondence, grant applications, bills, reservations, hiring, supervising, dying vehicles, stalling tractors, Malfunctioning water systems, sermons to repair, Bible studies to be planned, lawns to be cut, toys to be cleaned, garbage to be collected, conflicts to be resolved, income tax receipts to be issued, cards of thank yous to be written, life jackets and paddles to be purchased, speakers and retreats to be planned, motorboat engines to be repaired, people to be hospitable to. I will try not to fear evil. If I can remember, you are with me, your word, your voice, they comfort me. In another journal writing exercise, During this course I wrote, a candle without a flame. That's what I was when I arrived for the course a little over a week ago. I was reduced to a bright orange ember at the top of a jet black wick, smoldering but not quite snuffed out. Through my experience in this position, I definitely learned the negative effects of not practicing rest in the quantitative sense. Fortunately, since then, I have generally been able to practice Sabbath-keeping on a regular basis, although as a university professor, the temptation is always that your work is never done. In conclusion, there is another verse to the poem I read at the beginning of this talk. It reads as follows. Lord, I have time. I have plenty of time. All the time that you give me the years of my life, the days of my years, the hours of my days, mine to fill quietly, calmly, up to the brim. The question is, how are you and how am I going to fill these hours with busyness or with a balance of work and rest? I'm going to conclude with a prayer titled, Slow Me Down, Lord, by Orrin Crane. And my understanding is that once the prayer is over, you're free to leave. Before I begin the prayer, the prayer actually uh, be, uh, ends with an image of a tree that has grown great and strong. And this week I'm staying on the fourth floor of the residence. And... Uh, We've, I've been on sabbatical this year, so we've been traveling across Canada, and we've been camping for most of the last few weeks. I'm a person that tends to uh, enjoy being in creation, and large urban centers get me a little more stressful. So I was quite surprised when I got into my room, and I looked out, and I saw all the trees in the, the courtyard and I thought, this is very different, I'm sure, from what I recall from 34 years ago. I, uh, my recollection was the courtyard was rather barren, and now we have all these flourishing green trees that provide shade and a green setting. And so, as I mentioned, the prayer ends with a, a, an image of trees. And just like those trees in the courtyard have flourished over the last 34 years, we too will flourish, and we accept Jesus' invitation in Mark 6, 31 Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Let us pray. Slow me down, Lord. Ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reach of time. Give me, amid the confusion of the day, the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tensions of my nerves and muscles with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Teach me the art of taking minute vacations, of slowing down to look at a flower, to chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines from a good book. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send my roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values, that I may grow towards your destiny. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. Let me look upward to the towering oak and knew that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and well. Amen. Go in peace.